Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This is the weekend of the 34th annual National Cancer Survivors Day. And today we're going to be talking about cancer and healthcare, including with Angela Forshaw Rouse. She is the manager of state operations and outreach for AARP Pennsylvania. She has details of a new study on healthcare inequalities throughout the state, including right here in Northeast Pennsylvania. One of the many ways that cancer survival rates are increasing is by early diagnosis. In some cancers, that may be a bit easier than others, but it doesn't matter when you've been diagnosed. Kim Tibaldo is the executive director of the Cancer Support Community and author of the book, Your Cancer Roadmap. She has a way that you can put it all together, whether you're newly diagnosed or have been diagnosed for some time, so that you'll have all the information at your fingertips. And when we're speaking of cancer, skin cancer can be caught early. Dawn Webster is a physician's assistant with MedExpress, and she's here to give us some of the details about catching it early and how to prevent it. We're going to start off by introducing you to two people involved in an event coming up next weekend. The Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, or PANCAN, Purple Stride Walk, will be back in Northeast Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, pancreatic cancer is one of the most difficult cancers to detect, and sometimes you can't make a diagnosis until it's already far advanced. So Daniel LaMagna, the affiliate chair of the Northeastern Pennsylvania affiliate of PANCAN, and Eileen Iden, a pancreatic cancer survivor, are joining us now to tell us about pancreatic cancer and the upcoming Purple Stride. Dan, maybe you can start off by giving our listeners a little bit of a background of the uh, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. We've been here in northeastern Pennsylvania for, this is going to be our 10th anniversary of our big Purple Stride event on June 12th, fighting, waging hope against pancreatic cancer, which is the, the most deadliest form of cancer. Um, I lost my dad to the cause, so I've been glad to volunteer and and make a difference and raise awareness. Pancreatic cancer groups nationwide, they have done a a remarkable job with just research and fundraising and causing awareness. Um, When I first started with this affiliate, 
it was a less than 5% survival rate for, for patients. It's chipping away. It's up to 10% now here as I've been involved for, you know, 10 years later and just watching the group grow and watching us grow here in Northeastern Pennsylvania in our home area is, is really special. I'm sorry for the loss of your dad. Can you give us a little bit of background about what that was like from what I understand? It's also very difficult to diagnose. Yeah, you know, my dad was an activities director at the Lackawanna County Healthcare Center, and ultimately they ended up sending him home because he was jaundiced, which is one of the warning signs. And leading up to that, he was just fatigued and tired, and it's like, you know, just thought he was kind of burning both ends of the candle, which, you know, it's our human nature kind of. We just keep going, 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 and think, ah, I'm just a little bit tired. But he was kind of ignoring those warning signs uh, that he should have been seeing his doctor. You know, sometimes it's lower back pain. Sometimes it's fatigue. The jaundice is a big factor and they sent him home. And then from there, we started this journey of seeing what was going on. And when you detect it too late, it, it really creates an uphill battle. Um, they end up giving my dad 10 months to live. because They found this huge mass, um, you know, that's behind the pancreas. It's hard to detect. And he fought for two years, and and I learned so much about the disease. It wasn't easy, but, you know, I don't want anyone else to suffer. And if I could help anyone discover those warning signs, you know, because when it happens, like pancreatic cancer, what's that? I I had no idea. But it's like buying a new car. You know, once you get that new car, you you see it everywhere. And I've seen it here throughout Northeast PA and, and trying to make a difference. One of the things, too, is that, and many people may know that Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, was afflicted with pancreatic cancer. So it's it's such a double-edged sword. You hate to see anyone have such a malady happen to them, but when something like that does, did you find that that has made people talk about it a little bit more? It did. Um, You know, I always get those Google alerts, anything going on related to pancreatic cancer, and the, the alerts, they quadrupled at least. It did create a lot of awareness. I know his daughter is a big advocate, uh, started a team for Purple Stride as, as well, which, again, you hate to see these things happen, but you always try to find a, a positive. And, and I'm sure Alex Trebek, he was always very upbeat about this disease and was determined to create awareness himself. So, you know, if hopefully through that awareness, we could save some lives and educate others about early detection. Uh, that's definitely a positive. And he wasn't the only one. I think there's Steve Jobs, Patrick Swayze, uh, a few other celebrities have been impacted by this as well. Let's talk about Purple Stride. What do you have coming up? It's, you know, we're still navigating through like the back end of this pandemic. It's such a unique time. Um, Traditionally, we have a 5K walk run that's held on the Heritage Trail near the icebox. We have to be a, a little more creative this year. So we have our version of a virtual purple stride where our community could wear purple. That's our color of pancreatic cancer and walk run from wherever you're at. But we do have three significant landmarks that our community's gotten behind. We have a a beautiful purple banner um, at Nayog Park by the pavilion. We have another one at McDade Park along the, the trail there. And we have one at the Quinn campus at the University of Scranton. So you can get a little selfie station there with your family, uh, with our Wage Hope purple banner. Walk, run, post a picture of you and your family, anyone on on social media wearing purple, just to help raise awareness for this cause. 
How do you find out about getting involved? Do you have a website, Facebook page? Something tells me that you're probably all over social media. We are. We are. There's a NEPA uh, Purple Stride. You can find us on Facebook. You can just Google NEPA Purple Stride. It'll take you right to our our um, fundraising page. Pizza by Papa's is a big sponsor there. We're about 81% to our fundraising goal of $70,000 for this year. That goes right to caregivers, families, and research uh, to, you know, to help this disease. So please look us up on social media, NEPA Purple Stride. And uh, hopefully on June 12th, everyone's wearing purple and either walking or running for pancreatic cancer. Do they only do that on June 12th or can since it's since it's being more virtual again this year, can they do it anytime and get the information to you? How does that part work? Yeah, that's an excellent question there. And most certainly we want to create awareness year round. You know, we lead up to a big November awareness campaign, but Leading into June 12th here, if you know you're busy June 12th and you just want to be a part of this, you register. You can register online if you like, or again, just take a picture when you can wearing your purple and post it on our Facebook page for NEPA Purple Stride. And um, anyone who also wants to just get involved and volunteer beyond this June 12th, um, they can reach out to me uh, through the Purple Stride page, my personal page. And I'd be glad to give people more information on uh, pancreatic cancer. Again, when we're talking about uh, pancreatic cancer and the fact that it is the uh, third leading cause of cancer-related death in the U.S.? Yeah, it is. And that's why I mentioned it's the most it's, it's amazing, the numbers, the third most leading cause of cancer is the hardest to detect, and the survival rates are low. We do have survivors here in Northeast PA that normally, as part of our Purple Stride event, share their great stories. Um, we'll have a virtual video that uh, people could also see online sharing more information. But it is nationwide. It is the third leading cause. And that's the importance of us getting the word out there, you know, here locally and nationally. The Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, they are nationwide. So people around the world can get involved. There's a patient central network that's 24-7 available for patients and families. Um, they could just call a number and, and find out how to get involved, find out where a purple stride is near them and make a difference that way as well. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I'm also going to introduce everybody to Ellen Iden coming up. And she's also going to be telling us her story because she is one of the pancreatic cancer survivors. Outstanding. Ellen, we wish uh, Ellen the best. And it's, it's awesome that she could share her story. And, and that's what this is about, wage and hope. You know, there are a lot of those survivor stories out there. And I'm sure Ellen We'll have some interesting information about early detection and, and getting ahead of this disease. Dan, before I let you go, is there anything else or would you like to reiterate anything for our listeners today about uh, up the upcoming June event? Uh, you know, just again, go to Facebook, NEPA Purple Stride, or you could go to the national site, pancan.org. Get involved any way you can, whether it be a donation, walking, running and taking a picture on Facebook, just wearing your purple and raising awareness to wage hope against pancreatic cancer. We appreciate the support. Thanks to Dan LaMagna, the affiliate chair of the Northeastern Pennsylvania affiliate of PanCan. And now we're going to introduce you to Ellen Iden. She is a volunteer with PanCan, and she is a pancreatic cancer survivor. Ellen's going to start off by telling us how it all began for her. In 2009, the summer of 2009 is when I started to not feel good. And, you know, I was in my 40s, female, so I'm thinking gallbladder. 
and uh, I went to my family doctor and said, this is my, this is how I feel. What, you know, what do you think? Could it be my gallbladder? So he sent me to a gastroenterologist who did a scope and he thought he saw something on my pancreas and he said, I want to send you to Philly to see this doctor down there who can do a different type of scope that they weren't doing here in Scranton at that point. And I went to that doctor and he said, I'll call you in two weeks and let you know. And he, he did. And he told me it was, it was suspicious and that he would send me to a pancreatic surgeon. So I saw Dr. Drebin, who was a dream. And he walked in the room and he said, okay, when do you want to have your surgery? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Can we talk about it first? So he told me that there is something on there. They won't know till they get in there. And so then he said, what day do you want next week, Tuesday or Thursday? So they did my surgery and I had to wait 10 days to get the diagnosis. And it was a precancerous cyst on my pancreas, but I had to have the Whipple where they removed the head of my pancreas, portion of my bowel, my gallbladder. It's a major surgery. But anyhow, every year I have to go back for uh, a MRI and to see the surgeon. And this past year when I was there, they thought they saw something suspicious, but they said they were just going to wait on it. So I go back in December of this year to have another MRI and see what's going on. And that's where I'm at. Lots of prayers, Ellen. Lots of prayers. Well, again, mainly because um, we just talked to, I just talked to Dan a little while ago, Mm -hmm. and he mentioned that his dad had had pancreatic cancer, and unfortunately, it did claim his life. So here you are, someone someone who has gone through this. What was the therapy like afterward? Was there radiation, chemo? No, I didn't have to have any of that because of it being a precancerous cyst, which when he came in to tell me, he sat down in the bed and I thought, oh, my God, this is bad. And, you know, he said, no, but it could have if we didn't find it when we did. And my sister was diagnosed in February of 2016, and hers was in the same spot, but it had turned into a tumor. And it was near the arteries. So they had to try to shrink the tumor first. So they did chemotherapy on her, but within four months, she was gone. They never even got the chance to do a Whipple on her. So in that respect, I was fortunate that I was mine was found precancerous, hers not as fortunate. And I have six sisters, and four out of us, out of the six of us, have this, this on our pancreas. My other two, knock on wood, have not had theirs become precancerous. So theirs are also kept an eye on by the doctors, but... Katie, God bless her, was the unfortunate one whose hers did. Now she had diabetes also. That's a factor in it. You are the team captain of Purple Stride yeah. NEPA Team Katie's Crusaders in honor of your yeah. sister, and I am sorry for your loss. Tell us a oh, little God. bit about Katie. Oh, God bless her. She was the sweetest, kindest person. Big blue, blue eyes, gorgeous, vibrant personality, funny. And she was one who was on top of her health. Everything would get herself checked out. And this just hit. I mean, she got the symptoms right away. The yellowing of the eye, change in stool color. Right away they knew as soon as they saw the eyes and they did the MRI and they saw it. You know, you always think you have a fighting chance and that's what we tried to give her. And chemotherapy is tough. It's a tough drug to take. And I think her body just had had enough. Great mother, great wife. Sister. So she was the first in in your family to have the diagnosis? 
No, actually, my other two sisters, I might have been first, and then they were right after me. One was older than me, and one was younger than me. And then Katie was just diagnosed in 16, 2016, and she died in June of 2016. You had never heard about this beforehand? No. No, no other family member. I mean, you know, your typical heart disease things like that. Diabetes. I mean, diabetes right in our family. My grandmother had it on my father's side, but no cancers whatsoever of any kind. It has to be genetic, I think, because if four out of six of us got it, not pancreatic cancer, but the cyst that's on our pancreas, but Katie's just happened to turn into a cancerous tumor. You mentioned the fact that, again, you underwent major surgery and Uh it's just so nerve wracking. When, you know, and you said when the doctor sat down on the bed that you knew that there was something that was not going to come out, that 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 it was going to be very good. Never prepared for anything like that, are you? No, 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 no. Actually, when I went to see the surgeon, the resident came in first and he goes, so we're here to talk about your pancreatic cancer. I'm like, excuse me? And nobody mentioned that to me previously. So when he came, I was like, what? You know, you're just sort of taken aback, and then the surgeon comes in, comes in and he's like, we don't know for sure, it possibly could be, but you think, oh my God, pancreatic cancer, of all the cancers, why that one? You know, because it just doesn't have a long survival rate. And, and it's difficult it's, to find. Right, right. And it usually doesn't present itself until it's in its advanced stages. And that's what happened with Katie. I mean, she just didn't know it until... She started to get the symptoms of it. Sometimes, no matter how well we take care of ourselves, there's always something that sneaks around the corner. Now that you're involved with Purple Stride, can you give us a little bit of what it's been like telling your story to others and what their response has been? Well, everybody has been so positive and supportive, and they're just a sweet group of people, and they've, you know, it's hard for me to get up there and, and talk about it because I don't really feel like, I mean, I, you know, I under, underwent the Whipple, yes, and mine was precancerous. I was lucky. It's almost like you feel like a fraud, but you're not because there's still that underlying fear of this could happen again, you know, especially after I have to go back every year and have this checked. And when I was there in December and they said, well, there's this suspicious area and I'm like, oh, so Everybody has been supportive. It's a great group of people. We all try to work towards raising funds to get more research done and more word out there about, you know, if they could find a test to do. I mean, there's a cancer test they can do, but it, you won't get a result of it until you're, you have symptoms. I even asked the doctor that when I think it's CA-19, it's called, and he said it won't show anything unless it's you know, unless you definitely have it. So it's not worth the time to do the test. You know, you learn a little bit along the way. And there's just so many things like our one college in our community has a, a cupcake fundraiser every year. And all of the proceeds from they have, in their culinary school, all of the proceeds from that go towards, you know, PanCan and the doctor that I see, the GI doctor, he, you know, he highly recommends PanCan. So it's nice to know that it's out there. And I hate to say it, but I think with the more people that we see in the celebrity stages of that are have being diagnosed with it, we're seeing more awareness of it. And maybe that's what needs to get out there. I don't want more people to get it, but I want more people to be aware. That was one of the things that Dan and I had talked about earlier 
was that in the latest being Alex Trebek. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. it's it's almost like a double-edged sword because as you said, you don't want anyone to have to go down that path. But when someone does with that kind of notoriety, it brings right. the discussion up. Right. And he, you know, he was a true advocate. And Mindy Kaling, I believe her mother died from it. So she really pushes, I thought it was my gallbladder. You know, and that's what happens is it presents symptoms like some up something else that could be going wrong. And you just, sometimes you just blow them off. But this is just not feel right to me. So that's why I went to the doctor. That's all it takes is just to get right. in there and you have to be your own advocate. Exactly. I tell my family that all the time. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. coming up on the 12th, there's places that you can take your pictures. And, and yeah. we talked about that earlier. But from your perspective now, what do you want to let our audience know in order for them to get involved? Well, it's hard this year because once again, it's virtual. But go out and, and walk for somebody or just walk in honor of a friend, a colleague. You might not even know. Just go onto the pancreatic cancer site and, and look at the Northeast PA one and see, you know, some of the people there. You might not realize like, oh, I knew that person. You know, if you want to donate, donate. If you don't, go for a walk and support in that respect and take your picture by the up at Nail Park. It's the food stand side and, you know, just get involved. It, it, it helps. It helps raise money. More, you know, more research can be done. Hopefully they can come up with an early diagnostic testing or the third leading cause of death in the United States. That's scary. That's scary. They say that 57,000 cases can be diagnosed in a year in 2020, and 47 of those passed away from it. So that's not a good statistic. You need to work harder to get awareness out there. Well, I hope that there are more Ellens out there who are are going to be uh, doing that because you're awesome. And what do you mean you don't like to get up and talk in front of people? You're wonderful. Ellen Iden, considering everything that she's been through and still has to go through, is one of those people who, after you talk to her, just brightens your day. Next on Special Edition, we're going to talk about a cancer that can be an early diagnosis, skin cancer. Don't go away. Welcome back to Special Edition. Now we'll hear from Dawn Webster. She's a physician's assistant with MedExpress. And not only does she have some details about how we can go about preventing skin cancer, but also what to look for in order to get an early diagnosis. I just want to start by saying skin cancer is unfortunately the most common form of cancer in the United States. So it is so, so prevalent. We really do have to be careful The most important thing you can do that anyone can do is to check their skin, to to take a look at it every month if you can. And that's really the only way to know if you have skin cancer is by looking for any changes. Now, when you say looking for any changes, what exactly do you mean? You might get a freckle here or there. So what exactly are we looking for? So when I say changes, I really do mean changes because unfortunately, skin cancers can look like anything. There's three common skin cancers, basal cells, squamous cells, and melanomas. And they do all typically look a little bit different. The basal cell cancers, they're going to look like a raised, smooth, either skin-colored or maybe slightly red lump. And then there are squamous cells, and those 
they can be scaly, they can look like a, a wart or even a, a scratch or cut that kind of bleeds and doesn't heal. And then there are melanomas, which are the scary ones that you hear most about in the news. And those are typically brown or black, and they can look like a mole. And if people have a lot of them and aren't paying attention, that's how they can get missed. When we're talking about uh, trying to diagnose ourselves, uh, sometimes that's not a good idea. So when do we actually go to our doctor and do we start with our primary doc and then go from there? Well, you can. So you can absolutely start with your primary care doctor. It's a great idea, though, to get a dermatologist and to go once a year or if you're high risk twice a year and have them do a full body scan. They have a magnifying light. They have a special, a different color light that looks at every single little bump on your body and they can tell that looks okay, that looks suspicious, we need to keep our eye on that. And the only way they know is by getting a baseline. So if they see something suspicious, if it's just a little bit suspicious, they may have you come back in a couple months. If they see something very suspicious, they're going to take a small piece of it for a biopsy and send it to the lab and see what type of cells are in there. But really, if there's something you're worried about right away and you you don't have a dermatologist, your PCP is a good place to start. But if you do have a dermatologist or you have some time, try to try to get in with them. Start getting in every year to get a, a general skin screening. And you mentioned squamous cell. That's one of mine. And I thought it was a bug bite. And it went on for several weeks. But then all of a sudden, had another appointment with my primary care doc, just routine, and said, what's this? And she said, that looks like a squamous cell to me. That's just from my perspective. It can happen to you. Yes, it can. And that's that's what is a little bit scary about them. They can look like a little patch of eczema or dry skin. They can look like a bug bite. They can look like a scratch that's just not healing. So really, just like you said, the most important thing is if it's lasting longer than a normal scratch or bug bite or dry skin would last, then you do want to bring it to someone's attention. I did tell my dermatologists, who are also wonderful, that I'm sorry, but I just can't stay out of the sun. I know they've given me some tips, so maybe I can hear them again from you that would help keep me and others like me safe so that we don't have these major problems come up with skin issues. So obviously, the most important thing would be, if you can, to stay out of the sun, especially midday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Those are the worst times for UV exposure. And that's the UV exposure is what can cause the skin cancer. So the most important thing would do, to do would be to stay out. But if you can't, then cover up. Stay in the shade. Wear clothing that covers your arms, your legs. Wear a hat with a wide brim. To cover your face and then also sunscreen. So sunscreen is important. So always put SPF 15 of higher on and then sunglasses to protect your eyes. And then obviously we definitely want you to avoid indoor tanning. One of the other things that I learned, which I was not aware of, was that you can even develop a skin cancer under your fingernails or toenails? Yes. You can develop them anywhere. I wasn't aware of that at all. So that's another good thing to take off the nail polish every once in a while. And I make it sound like it's more women, but that's not the case either. No, absolutely not. Um, Men and women both can get skin cancer. And the people that are at a higher risk 
are the fair-complected people. So people with lighter skin, blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes. Those are the people that really, unfortunately, because they get sunburned easier, can get skin cancer easier. But it, it is any gender. Especially when we're talking about where skin cancers can develop. A lot of times, especially in the summer, we're outside and we don't wear a hat. So that brings the scalp and even the tops of the ears into play where people don't even think sometimes, how am I going to put suntan lotion in my hair? Right. Yes, that's why hats are so important. And you can spray your hair with the spray sunscreen, spray your scalp. But really, I think a hat probably would be the best way to make sure you get adequate coverage. When a person is then diagnosed with skin cancer, is it because you mentioned melanoma and melanoma being the worst, that is it possible that you may start out with that stage if you let something go untreated that long? So melanoma is the type of skin cancer that everyone worries about because it's, it is unfortunately the one with the, the, mo- the most fatality, highest fatality rate. Now, melanoma typically is easily identified if you're paying attention. So you really do need to pay attention to your skin, to your mold. So melanoma is the one that is typically brown or black in pigment. So this is the one that's going to look like a mole. If you don't have a mole and you notice a new one, then yes, get it checked. Or if you thought you had a mole there, but it seems to be changing, then you also want to get that one checked. The, the squamous cell cancers and the basal cell cancers, those are very, very slow growing. So those are the ones that even if you do catch them later, they're very highly curable. The, the melanomas, those are the ones we worry about because those are the ones that do spread faster. And when you're talking about moles, it doesn't necessarily mean if you have a raised mole that that mole could be cancerous, correct? Correct. So they, they actually have a, um, an acronym, acronym to kind of know what to look for when it comes to melanoma. So they call them the ABCDEs. So the A stands for asymmetry. So when you look at the mark on your skin, whether it's a mole or just a dark spot, is it, is it perfectly round or is it uneven? The B stands for border. So you want to look at the border. Is the border smooth? Is it irregular? Is it jagged? If it's jagged or irregular, those are warning signs. C is the color. So is the color uneven? Um, most moles, not all, but most are uniform, either dark brown, light brown, um, sometimes even black. But is it changing? Is it uneven? The D is for diameter. So how big is that molar spot? Is it the size of an eraser? Is it larger than that? Is it the size of a pea? Once it gets to be the size of an eraser or larger, that's a warning sign. So you need to get that checked out. And then the last letter E is, is it evolving? Is it changing? You know, does it look different? Is it brand new? Has it never been there before? And unfortunately, I mean, we're not often looking at our back, the back of our legs, the back of our arms which is really why it is so important to see a dermatologist and have them do those yearly skin checks. Absolutely. With my experience, I've also taken pictures on my phone of things that I think might be, eh, there might be something there, but I'm really not sure, or it looks a little different. And again, if you are getting in with a, uh, a good dermatologist, 
you send them that picture and they can take a look at it and be able to say, well, maybe you should come in, maybe you shouldn't. And I know that's that saves a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Dawn, right. what do we say to, to sum all this up? Prevention, but please don't tell me I got to stay out of the sun. <laughs> no, you don't have to. Just Just wear sunscreen, wear a hat, try to stay in the shade if you can. But if you can't, then just wear a hat and wear sunscreen and just do your best. That's all we can do. Thanks again to Dawn Webster for that information on skin cancer. Whether a person has been newly diagnosed or has been fighting cancer for years, Kim Tibaldo is the executive director of the Cancer Support Community and the author of Your Cancer Roadmap. And she's found out in working with people with cancer over the years that everyone needs someplace to turn every now and then. And that's what Your Cancer Roadmap is all about. I also found out that Kim has some ties to Northeast Pennsylvania. So there's a shout out at the end of our interview to Berwick. Tell us about the Cancer Support Community. So, Paula, the Cancer Support Community is a nonprofit organization that provides support, education, navigation, uh, nutrition, exercise uh, for people with all cancers at any stage of disease. We have affiliates across the country. Uh, we have a wonderful website at cancersupportcommunity.org. And we also have a helpline if people want to talk live to one of our navigators. They can call our helpline at 888-793-9355. All of our services are free of charge for people with any cancer at any stage of disease and also for their family members and loved ones. Speaking of which, you have a cancer roadmap. What's that all about? So, Paula, I'm excited. I have a new book coming out. It's called Your Cancer Roadmap, Navigating Life with Resilience. Um, you know, I've been with the cancer support community for over 20 years. I've, I've assisted, I've listened to, I've met with thousands of patients across the country facing a cancer diagnosis. And in these conversations, I saw certain themes emerge, and I found I was sharing the same information, advice, and tips over and over again. Um, also, frankly, there have been a lot of great uh, advances in cancer care and treatment over the past decade, uh, which is great news for patients, but it also makes things a little more daunting and a little more complicated. So I thought it just made sense to put all of that information in one place, in one easy to use format for patients and families. When they go to your cancer roadmap, what are they going to find? Are they going to find ways to get help? Are they going to find um, maybe just support information? What exactly is it, Kim? So the, the book, Paula, Your Cancer Roadmap, is really a soup to nuts resource for patients and families. It looks at many of the challenges and obstacles that patients face, and it offers information, coping, strategies, tips, resources for patients, caregivers, loved ones. The book is divided into three sections. The first section is about when you've just been diagnosed, all the things you need to do. Get the right diagnosis. Make sure you put together the right medical team. Get a second opinion. Look at clinical trials. The second section of the book is about what to do when you're in active treatment. So tips on managing side effects, how to get good information about nutrition, exercise, stress reduction, how to cope with the emotions that come with a cancer diagnosis, how to talk to your kids about cancer. And then the third section is after you've completed treatment, uh, folks think, oh, I'm done treatment. Great. Back to normal. Not so. There's a lot of information that people need to, to deal with post-treatment. Sometimes they're still having some lingering side effects. They still need to get their, their screenings and their scans and, and, and uh, you know, get back to what we call a new uh, a new 
normal. In every chapter, there's, there's tips, there's information, there's resources, there's websites that people can check out. There are places where you can write down uh, your doctor's information. You can keep a little food journal. You can keep a little exercise journal. I want folks to throw this book in their purse, throw it in their backpack, take it with them to their chemo. I want them to read it when they're sitting out in the yard drinking a cup of coffee. It really is a very easy, um, easy to use format, very accessible and very sort of, you know, resource and tip driven for patients and families. Kim, it's such a daunting diagnosis when you hear the words come out that you do have a cancer of some way, shape, or form. Over the years that you have been dealing with this, what have you been finding from people who first get that diagnosis? Are they confused? Are they angry? Or just are they more concerned about what's going to happen in the future? Well, I think it's all of the above, um, Paula. It's very normal to feel confused, to feel overwhelmed, to feel depressed, to feel sad, um, to feel scared. Those are all very, very normal emotions. And what we try to do in this book is break all of those things down so that people don't feel so isolated. They don't feel so afraid um, and they don't feel so you know, depressed when they're facing this diagnosis. I always say that information is power. Um, I remember speaking to um, a woman in Virginia who had just been diagnosed with cancer. And she said to me, even though I don't know what my outcome will be. I want to feel confident in my decisions. And that always stuck with me, um, Paula. So my hope is that the book will help people feel confident in their decisions, that it will help them feel educated, that it will help them feel empowered and sort of come what may, that they feel like they have the tools and the resources to face a cancer diagnosis. And they can really bring in this kind of multidimensional team around them, not only the doctors and the nurses, but social worker, family, uh, clergy, bring in organizations like my organization, the Cancer Support Community, uh, to help you face that cancer diagnosis. You don't have to face cancer alone, and we are here to help. We're here to help you navigate all of those challenges, get your questions answered, and we're, we're here to help you feel confident in your decisions as you go forward. It does seem as though because of social media and the way the world is in general, there's much more discussion about certain cancers than there had been. I know Back in the mid-80s, you didn't even say the word colon cancer because that was just something no one talked about. Now we're hearing more about pancreatic cancer. Again, wasn't talked about a lot because there wasn't much known about it. Have you seen those trends changing and the more that people talk, the better that they are informed? Oh, that, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think back in sort of my mom's generation, it was called the big C and people just sort of whispered about it in back rooms. Now, uh, in my book, you'll see, uh, Paula, I've got, a, I've got an essay by Joan London, the journalist Joan London. I've got an essay by ESPN reporter Holly Rowe talking about their own cancer experiences. The foreword of the book is by our first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. She writes that cancer has been a dark thread that has run through her life. Um, I think cancer's the great equal. Right. It doesn't care if you're an athlete, a celebrity, a journalist, if you're the first lady, uh, you know, in your family, I'm all families are, are impacted in some way. And, you know, I'm so grateful to these folks who stepped up to share their own personal stories and experiences in the book. Honestly, I think it makes cancer a little less scary. It gives people the inspiration uh, to face a cancer diagnosis when when these, you know, sort of celebrities, athletes, other folks are out there sharing their story. Folks are saying, OK, well, it's you know, it, it, it affects us all. It's not just me. And if these folks 
folks are out there sharing resources, telling their stories, then I can do the same. And so we hope that by folks sharing these stories, um, that it, and frankly, I have quotes and stories from everyday patients too across the country, that it will be an inspiration to those who read the book and that will, it will make the cancer journey a little less daunting and a little less scary. So once again, where can our listeners find out more information about the book as well as cancer support community? So, um, Paula, they can visit cancersupportcommunity.org. Right there on their homepage, there's information about the book, how they can order the book. They can also order the book wherever they like to buy uh, their books on Amazon or other uh, other sites, other locations. So if they visit cancersupportcommunity.org, they can learn about the book and about all of our free resources. They can also call our helpline if they want to speak to one of our helpline navigators. That number, toll-free number, again, everything is free, 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. So we hope folks will reach out. We hope folks will will take away from the conversation today that they do not have to face cancer alone. We're here. Put us on the team and let us help you navigate this illness. Kim, thank you so much. Another shout out to Berwick. A shout out to Berwick, my sister-in-law, Julie Mason and the Mason family uh, from Berwick. I've been up in your neck of the woods and love to come up there and visit. And I'm so pleased to be chatting with uh, you and uh, your listeners today, Paula. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. You have a wonderful rest of your day and we appreciate all the great information. You too, Paula. Thank you. Thanks again, Kim Tibaldo, for joining us. Up next, in the year 2021, can there be health care inequalities? There are. And we're going to find out where on Special Edition. Now on Special Edition, Angela Forshaw-Rouse, Manager of State Operations and Outreach for AARP Pennsylvania. Angela, Pennsylvania's coming back from COVID-19. Things are starting to relax. But one of the things that has been making news is the fact that there are people in Pennsylvania, who still can't get access to the COVID-19 vaccine. How is that possible and who is being directly affected? Well, you know, uh, AARP Pennsylvania uh, and the Drexel University uh, College of Nursing and Health Professions, we really uh, put together a report that highlights how geography, racial and ethnic and economic factors are combining right now to restrict access to basic healthcare services for many Pennsylvanians. And it's creating disparities that have become even more pronounced during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and because of that pandem- pandemic, it's really exacerbating those inequities for those living in poorer rural and urban areas uh, for years even. And we're kind of paying even more attention to it right now. Uh, those areas have social and economic conditions that have led to more poor health limited resources, and unequal access to the quality of care uh, that persists because of COVID-19. One thing that our report did reveal uh, is that out of the 67 counties, we have at least one area that we would determine a pharmacy desert desert, uh, would be such with few to no pharmacies available, uh, with local pharmacies serving as a key component of Pennsylvania's uh, COVID-19 vaccine distribution plan. This is something that we really need to pay attention to, uh, especially in rural areas of the state. Uh, pharmacy deserts directly impact access to vaccines for those who are higher at risk. It just seems almost virtually impossible to think that there is such a thing as a pharmacy desert. And what 
particular areas are you talking about? Because we do have many rural areas throughout Northeast Pennsylvania. And are any of those included as well? Correct. You know, our, our research did look uh, at, at uh, data that have been out since 2014 that indicates out of 67 counties, there's at least one area in each county that lacks a pharmacy. Uh, and what we would indicate would be those that with little or no access to pharmacies available. And why we're really focusing on this within uh, this disrupting disparities report is because uh Currently, right now, you know, much of our, our federal vaccine sites are closing, uh, you know, as the uh, vaccination rates increase in Pennsylvania. And a lot of consumers that are still wanting to get the vaccine but haven't had a chance to get one will be utilizing their pharmacies. Uh, so we really want to make sure that people are aware that maybe not everyone has, you know, a pharmacy within three to five miles. Uh, so there are different scenarios based on where you live. And here, again, in Northeast Pennsylvania, uh, Lackawanna, Luzerne, Wyoming counties, we have some very rural areas in there. And it just seems that there's a something somewhere everywhere. But this is not just for the vaccine. This is also for health care in itself. True? Absolutely. You know, one of the areas that we looked at uh in this report, as I mentioned, is geography. And that plays a really big factor in health inequities across Pennsylvania. And we're really looking at the status of 50 plus health, right? So even a little bit before you reach 50, uh, we have uh, some data that shows over 18% of those that are 45 to 64, primarily in Lackawanna, Luzerne, and Wyoming uh, counties, uh, and even Erie County, uh, are reporting that they're not able to see a doctor uh, in the past year because of cost. So we do see that in uh, some of our more poor and rural and underserved counties, that cost is a barrier to getting quality health care. You know, and this is something that, you know, we need to kind of talk more about if we're looking to improve health access and equity in Pennsylvania. In talking with people who live in those areas, have they given you any suggestions as to what may help? Because I know, again, there are a lot of providers out there. Um, is it the fact that maybe there's also a shortage of healthcare personnel? Well, you know, uh, the report does do a really good job uh, to put forth some recommendations. And those recommendations, you know, consumers can read the report and look at some of the recommendations. But really, we did a good job to pull all the data together in one place, right? So people can look at implications of a 50-plus health in Pennsylvania. And those recommendations are really uh, aligned well, we believe, uh, for our elected officials on the federal, state, and local levels, even into the municipalities, uh, to really look at health disparities that are impacting the 50-plus population. Uh, One of the recommendations that we have is we want to continue to monitor health, geography, and racial disparities across the state, uh, and as well looking at preparing the healthcare workforce. That's very important as we age in Pennsylvania that we have the workforce to help take care of the aging, uh, making sure that that workforce is able to provide culturally competent care uh, and prevention for chronic disease management. Uh, and we touch a little bit about that uh, in terms of the chronic diseases uh, that are more uh, persistent in Pennsylvania. Uh, and we also want to make sure that we're supporting our direct care workers. It's really important that we give them the adequate support that they need to provide care to our aging in Pennsylvania. 
Um, and as well, you know, looking at COVID-19, I know lots of people are kind of, you know, looking forward to getting back out there if restrictions lift. But we also want to make sure that people are still diligent and that the state still provides adequate COVID-19 testing and making sure that we're always uh, implementing and uh, improving upon our vaccination distribution as elements change in the state. And as things do change in the state, do you foresee or have you heard of any more uh, opportunity for people to get into those rural areas, maybe not going to the pharmacy, but bringing things to them? Is that also a possibility? Well, you know, there's a lot of homebound individuals as well, uh, and we're looking to make sure that uh, the individuals that are not able to get out and get their vaccines are being serviced, and that's very important to AARP. Uh, But one area that we know uh, that is very important to talk about, especially with those that have been maybe cut off uh, as we've been only connected through the virtual landscape is the digital divide, right? Uh, A lot of people were able, if you had high-speed internet, you were able to see your doctor via your phone, right? Or or, uh, high-speed connections. But think about so many that were not able to see their their doctors during this time uh, because they did not have access to high-speed internet. You know, they may not have access to technology. They may not have the literacy to use the technology or they're simply not wired for high-speed access to connect like you and I have and and many of us have across the state. You know, we did look um, across the state uh, and there's not one county in the state of Pennsylvania that can say that they have 100% high-speed internet coverage uh, for for their uh, population. So that's really important that we look at how the digital divide does play into the health inequities uh, for the 50-plus in Pennsylvania. Angela, thank you so much. I'm afraid we're going to have to let you go, but uh, we'd love to have you come back again because there's a lot of good information out there. And you can get more information, I'm assuming, on the uh, aarp.org website. aarp.org slash PA. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 